Hello, it's part two of the Philip Martin interview, but there's also a bonus 10-minute chat at the end with somebody who contributed to one of his stories. So uh, keep listening. Started, so you, you'd started writing for television in, in things like um, Z Cars, which comes up a lot in this podcast, but I guess because I'm speaking to people who all started working at, at the same time, but it was an important apprenticeship for everybody, yeah. wasn't it, really, yes. Z Cars? Yes, it was. I mean, it was, um, it, it was a sensation, really. Um, I was in episode three of, of Z Cars when it had just hit, and... You used to on the set. You were mobbed. You know, you were you were you were asked for autographs, and they didn't know who the hell I was. But you know what I mean? It was all this, and and the the police guys, you know, became stars, and and it was something that was very because it had never been done that way before. I mean, there was there was Dixon and Doc Green, and everything, but this was had some reality to it. And David Rose, who you know I later um, was the producer at um, the the executive producer of Gangsters. Um, was in charge of the Z cars. He was the producer of Z cars, and yeah, he 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 brought it about, and some fine actors, and but it, it really changed things. That the style of acting and the edge, and uh, the fact that you were treating policemen as um, as real people with real problems was was a very very important factor. And on a more a more practical level, because we're now used to um, you know hearing about scripts going through rewrites and things like that, which is very easy to do when you've got a word processor. When you're bashing it out on a typewriter, and, and was was there a, a, a hierarchy and an all powerful script editor, or was it just? And did you have to do lots of rewrites and lots of drafts, or was it? Yeah, you did because there was. <laughs> I mean, I learned so much on that show. I mean, I, when I'm talking about writing now because I wrote about six six episodes, I think, and. You used to, yes, you'd be on the script editor, yes, you'd be on the producer, but you'd, you'd satisfy them. And then it would go to a guy who lived on the Isle of Man, who was an ex-police superintendent called W.A. Roberts, which is written on my heart, believe me. <laughs> and he would go through your script, and anything that he thought affected the, uh, the profile of the police badly, he would cross out and he would write his note W-A-R, which is war, on the, <laughs> end, on, on the side of the script next to you. And I used to dread this time when this would come back and I'd look and I'd see all this blue pencil going around through it in W-A-R, which you had to satisfy. And some of them were ridiculous, frankly, you know, because, because it was done live, you see, you had to sometimes, sometimes write a little bit of dialogue to cover the fact that one of the actors was walking over to the other side of the studio, changing his costume, you know, as it were. So you would write that. So I remember particularly that I had two two of the police guys in the car talking about a girl who walks past them, you know. And one of them says, oh, she's nice. And he says, yeah, yeah, she lives down there. She said, you know, is she she got a boyfriend? She married? And he says, "Mm, I don't know, I don't think so, you know. And that's all it was. It was just a little bit of filler to do that. W-A-R comes <laughs> on to that saying, this would never happen because this policeman is married. <laughs> and I thought, oh, God, this is ridiculous, you know. I mean, the, 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 some of the, the production crew also knew, but but certainly it gave you um, great discipline. And, and I went, you know, as a writer, I went through things then that stood me in such good stead. 
you know, later on when I, when I came to um, to write other things, yeah. Well, and an interest. Then we we jump forward um, to we we brought up the idea of the script editor. Obviously, when you started doing Doc Two, Vengeance on Varus, Doc Two was riding high, and then when you returned to it, it had been through a pretty torrid time. Yeah. And your script editor Eric Sayward and the producer who you've alluded to, who wasn't quite sure that he understood you or had a, the, mm. this dynamic issue, he then had a dynamic with Eric that was about to crumble. Yeah. So were you aware? Was when you came back to do Mind Warp, were you aware that the ship was now a somewhat rockier one? Yes, I was because I mean it was it was pretty chaotic actually because we'd worked out this the structure of the um, the trial which was going to go through fourteen episodes or everything. And Bob Holmes had become very ill, and he was to do the first four. I was to do five to eight, and then there were there were other writers that were taking it on. And often, you know, an important thing to know about this is how things end, because you you can prepare it. And somehow, if you know where the end point is, it sort of guides you through the rest of it. They didn't know what the end point was. In fact, they didn't know what the writers kept changing beyond me. Every time I I, I heard who was writing the next script. It was a different name, and 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 also the the, the final two scripts were with different names. And Bob Holmes was very ill and you know, became terminal, so I was isolated, like on a little island where I knew between episodes five and eight to what my story was, and I would go and um, I was just doing that. I didn't know where the trial was going. I didn't know what was leading up to it or anything. I just did my thing. And trusted Eric to sort of guide me through the links that that you know, and he would know at a later date, really. So I felt quite isolated by it. And the amusing thing about it was was that um, John Nathan Turner had taken me to one side and said, uh, "Just between you and me, and keep it to yourself. I want Perry to go in this in this um, in, your, in the end of your episodes." And Perry was the companion then. And I said, what do you mean, go? She said, well, kill her, kill her off. You kill her off, get rid of her. I don't want her anymore. Go, you, I want her, want her finished. And I said, well, okay. you know." So I thought, oh. He said, but keep it to yourself. You mustn't tell anybody about it. It's a secret, okay? So I said, yeah, okay, John, okay. So I then meet um, Nicola Bryant and various things. And I think, how am I going to kill her? You know, is it garot? You know, to, uh, <laughs> Viking funeral? You know, I got to... To do that, and so it was. It went, you know. It went. I felt like some sort of assassin, some murderer, you know. And eventually, I gave her a good send off. I think when she was transferred from, you know, the body of Kiv, the mind of Kiv was transferred into her body, and, and that. But later on, I, I was doing um, a voiceover, I think, about Doctor Who with Nicola, and I, I said, I must confess to you that you know, this is the way I felt. And she said, Oh, I knew all the time. She said, oh. <laughs> so, but it was a it was a it was a fine time. But it was really troubles were brewing certainly on that. And after that, it um, it started to decline really until ultimately it became sort of like a pantomime almost. Eventually, for eventually, you know, for, and by that time I you know I'd gone on to something else. I, I didn't. There's a level. It went below the adult level, and, and you know, I, I, certainly you have to appeal to kids and entertain them and do that. But I always liked a, a, an adult element as well, and the adult element had gone missing really, and so there was nothing more for me to do to do in that in that field anymore really. And where do you think it went wrong between John and Eric? 
I don't actually know the the actual fallout of it, but but there was obviously the thing that about John that he resented that he'd done everything you see on the show and he'd done everything in television except the writing except the creating of the script, and he couldn't. Well, you know, as, as I said earlier, he tried to control me on that, but he he'd always made him uneasy. And of course, Eric was the custodian of of that area, and I think there was tension between it. I, I, as I say, I don't know the absolute nitty gritty of it, but there seemed to be that element that was about it, and also that Eric had become. He once said to me, "You know, there, when I look at the cast list at the end of a show, there are only about four of them survive, and they're always getting bumping everybody off. Mm. You know, everybody was getting." Um, mashed up against the wall and particularly the Simon and the shows and so there would be some of that element and then it all became public and um, it became very very regrettable really and talking about cast lists though I mean I have to say both of your stories I mean when your when your young guard is played by Owen Teal who's now yes. a sort of Tony nominated wonderful actor yeah. Um, yeah. and to give John credit he did go to the drama schools and, and get some of the, the young yeah, talent yeah. and give them race yeah. but when you see Martin Jarvis and um, yeah. uh, Brian Blessed and people like that. that that helps does it not? Well it absolutely does in fact I saw the Owen Teal Martin Jarvis scene again at this, this Doctor Who I was at recently and it's a powerful scene it was a scene I was really proud of where they, he, he tries to, to get the, the governor first of all explains to Perry the dilemma that he lives in and all governors live in then he appeals to the guard who may well be in his position the next time. And it's a very powerful scene that's very complex. And I'd, I'd really forgotten about it. And when I saw it on a big screen, I thought, by God, I'm proud of that. You know, I'm, I'm, that, that's a piece of writing that I'll, I'll stand by. And it suddenly popped up and I thought, yeah. But a lot of it's got to do with the, with the quality of the acting as well because Martin brought a very gravitas to that role and played it exactly right. You know, for real. You know, there was no sending up. There was no nodding around. There was. He just played it for what it was. You know. And so, what was the um, jump-off point then for the one that sadly was never filmed, which was Mission for Magnus? Where, where, where did you jump off there? Um, it was a sort of exercise, really, that um, that caught my interest. Is they said they would like to bring back the Ice Warriors, and. I thought, oh, that's interesting. I, was, I think it was Malcolm Hulk, wasn't it? It was, was, oh, it was Brian Hales. Was it Brian Hales? Yeah, was it? Brian oh, yeah. Hales, yeah. And um, so I, I read some novelizations and I looked at some old tapes. And by this time, I'd agreed to do it, and I was really mortified to see how slow those guys moved, and you know their hissy voices. And I thought, my God, what have I taken on here? And I thought about it and thought about it. And then I thought, well, perhaps if they lived under an ice cap, they could move around quite freely because it would be cold. And they are called ice warriors. And so from then started. And I also became intrigued by changing the access of the planet. And I had a friend who works in geography at Lancaster University. And he talked to me what would be needed. He said, it's all theoretical of course but he told me what would be needed to change the axis of a planet so you change the weather and uh, I can't remember all the technical detail now it's in the 
script on the book, but it um, so it worked out. So it became an intriguing exercise to um, to bring about. And I also like the idea that the doctor had been bullied at school with hands off, and um, yeah. So so it, it came about, but I'd just written the script when the when the whole thing imploded, really. So and then I later did it for Big Finish, which was which was fun to actually give it a give it an airing that, it, that the script was then ad- adapted for audio so I felt and I'd also written the novelization of it because uh, I don't like the feeling of something not being seen or mm-hmm. published or given you know when you've spent good time on it really and um, so so that was about but it it was fairly truncated because I just f- finished the script virtually when and sent it in when I got a phone call from Eric saying they've pulled the show, you know. So it it immediately went into limbo, really. Mm. Um, I mean, they paid and all that, but uh, yeah. So so in a way, it sort of stopped. Then it stopped with that phone call for me. And um, as I say, I, I've done done work for Big Finish on it, and I always always miss Doctor Who for again to you know to what I alluded earlier. It gives me a fantastical element that that I like in my writing. Um, you want to do it all the time, but it is there, and I want you know I like to explore it. Yeah. Well, you had a bash with um, Star Cops as well, didn't yep, you? Yep, yep, Star Cops. Yeah, there was. Um, yeah, it was a good idea, I think that that, and um, I think it deserved better than it was a fate. But it, it became it became one of those things that the then the then controller didn't like science fiction, so you know, it was scheduled at in the dog days of summer, you know, and um, didn't receive any boost at all, really. And uh, although people, I meet people occasionally who still like it and still, you know, enjoy it, really. But it was one series, and I was supposed to do two, actually. I was, I did one, which was called... Um, this case to be reopened This, in, this yeah. case to be opened in a million years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a title I quite like. And there was another one called Death on the Moon, which was like an Agatha Christie set on the moon, but they ran out of funds by episode eight, and they they couldn't afford to to make it. So, Death on the Moon was never made. Uh, so it was, uh, yeah. It's... So thereafter, with your your television work, I mean, was did did you um, were you instigating stuff? Were people coming to you? I mean, how how after you sort of turned left Doctor Who and of course up till now where the landscape of television is massively different yeah, so, yeah. so so what happened what, what was the process well I think the tragedy was is that after Gangsters was shown and well received and that there were you know open university courses held about it Alistair and I had an idea that we wanted to do another show that was similar to Gangsters but called Middle Class Fantasies about <laughs> the fear that the middle class have of everything, <laughs> you know, and it was it was based on that, and I, I can't remember much more about it, but nobody wanted to know. Nobody wanted to know at all. They they just seemed to be happy that gangsters had somehow gone away, and that sort of exploration of television could cease, and we could go back to the tried and the true, and the, you know they wouldn't have anything that. And so for a while. Uh, I, you know, I worked in in series, and I, I, you know, I had play for today on, and I did some theatre and and everything. But that 
um, seam of television that I'd explored, I couldn't take it any further because you know you need the commissions, you need the productions, you need the you know the um, the wherewithal to do it, and and nobody was interested in, in that at all. Um, so eventually, I mean, if you if you bring it up to date, really, I became. Well, in fact, I went and became a BBC producer on in radio and produced 150 radio dramas. I still wrote to some degree during that time, um, but eventually, I you know I I can't countenance writing for television now because you know all you seem to be employed at is is the person who does the first draft, and then everybody else throws in their two penneth. And the poor old writer's left at the end with all these disparate comments that he has to make sense of, or she has to make sense of. And it's quite a facing, you know, and I, I now, I've written um, a film called The Spirits, which is, you know, it, it looks as if we're going to get funding for it, touch wood. Um, and I've written a stage play, which is... The National Theatre of Scotland. Um, so I mean, I, I go on writing, and I, you know, I want to write a children's novel, and so I go on writing. But but in terms of television, um, there doesn't seem to be a place for my sort of writer anymore in that in that sense. So, but you'll keep doing it, and and, and what's oh, yeah. the di- what's what's the discipline? I mean, are you one that gets up at nine o'clock in the morning, does certain hours, or? Yeah, um, it varies really. I. I don't quite believe the person who does nine till five religiously, you know, because I know I don't. Uh, I try to, and sometimes I just go and, and sit sit and look at the page or look at the desk or do anything. But when I when I've when I've got an idea starting to go, I try and do something on it every day, even if it's only a line. I try and keep it. I mean, it came from. Um, uh, Jerry Seinfeld once said that he he tries to do a little work on a joke every day, you know, just to do something every day, and that that keeps the juices going. And that's what I do. I mean, I I do a, I write a page of rubbish as soon as I wake up, and if I've got an idea on 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 the go, I'll work on that. And but there's always something going on. You know, I can't imagine what life would be if I wasn't thinking about some story somewhere or putting two things together or, or being interested or or reading or watching, you know, and, and you know, I'm, I'm very still interested in television, particularly in American television, you know, the, the DVD series such as Breaking Bad and, uh, you know, Sopranos, those, 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 I mean, it's a golden age of, of, mm. uh, of television in, in America. Um, and also, you know, the the Scandinavian as well, and also the French. I've just been watching Spiral, which is a, is a is a lot going for that as well. So, so you see those things, but um, I get a little bit unhappy, particularly. I know it's suppose we're supposed to have the best actors in the world, but just at the moment, there's a style of acting on television which drives me potty, which I call stylized acting that you don't really speak like a human being, you do it like a rather clever actor that rather makes things... You don't say, uh, pass me that cigarette. You say, pass me that cigarette. You know, and, and it's so false and it drives me mad and so I, have to, I can't watch a lot of plays when this 
sort of um, what I term rubbish acting is going on. And, um, you know, so I go for the truth that I like to believe that when I hear words, they're spoken by somebody who actually lives on a planet and um, goes to the toilet and, you know, eats sandwiches and drinks coffee, you know. <laughs> well, look, that, uh, that uh, ganging plot shows that I've exceeded the half an hour I promised to spend on you. That's been most fascinating. Um, so I ask you, because you've kindly given your time and, uh, and uh, given me great hospitality, to, um, to nominate a charity for the listeners. Yes, I like uh, Water Aid is, is the charity that I feel most strongly about because I think clean water um, being available. When I was in Pakistan, I saw women walking two miles to go to a well to pick pick up the water and carry it back in a, in an urn and um, I think the clean water is the most important thing and so any pennies that go towards them I would be very grateful and uh, we're here because uh, this daft task that I'm doing is to mark the fact that Doctor Who began 50 years ago this year the day after John F Kennedy was assassinated um, so what's your message to the Doctor Who fans out there well, keep watching, keep believing, and, you know, you are the Doctor Who, you're the reason why it's it's lasted so long, and, um, you know, long may you continue to support it. Well, Philip Martin, for your time, your very interesting conversation and your hospitality, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you very much. Thanks, Toby. I hope that was all right for you. Yeah, that's fine. So, um, hello everyone, I'm on Skype, I've got a bonus interview um, that's been hastily convened, so I'm going to ask my victim to tell me who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Hi, Toby. My name is Jason Connery, and I was in uh, a Doctor Who called Vengeance on Varos. I played a uh, uh, a young man called John Dark. And it was uh, an early job for you. Do you recall how how you how it, how it came about? Well, yes, I uh, I went in. Uh, I think that I believe the director's name was Ron Jones, and I went in um, and met with him and uh, the audition. And um, the thing that I remember most about it was being slightly uh, surprised by the fact that my character was married, and uh, I was I think I was nineteen, perhaps when or t- I, mean, I think I was twenty when I made it. So um, I, I, I suddenly felt like I had to be uh, tremendously mature because I hadn't even thought about marriage. So um, that was a that was a whole uh, different side to the character, which I actually quite enjoyed. And it's it's curious because when you talk to actors today, obviously television is made very differently now. And you were making a a science fiction series, essentially in the way that they make a soap opera now. So was that quite challenging to do sort of th- you know three camera multi camera studio with laser beams and monsters and lots of charging about? <laughs> Yes, uh, it was, it was, it was, I'd never done multicam before, um, you know, and it was, uh, they had, they had uh, uh, the sets when you see them on, 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 in the show looked, um, you know, I think looked quite presentable, but when you were actually filming them, quite often they weren't sort of monsters, there was a uh, uh, grip standing there with bits of gaffer tape waving them at you and they said, well, we'll put the monster in afterwards. So you were acting uh, to... Uh, very different things that one saw actually in the um, in the in the end result. But um, you know, uh, working with Colin was was lovely because he um, he has a real sort of light deaf touch. You know, he's, he's um, you know, and he's really nice to work with because he he, he keeps everything bubbling along. And, and there was a nice feeling on set. So you know, in that way, um, uh, you know, some jobs feel very intense and uh, everybody seems to be quite nervous. Whereas on uh, on the Doctor Who set, you felt as though you were uh, having fun and just, um, 
you know, working with the other actors. So it was nice. Well, one of those other actors was um, uh, Nabil Shaban. So uh, what, what was that like working with Sil, who became a, a big favourite? Oh, he was, Nabil and I are still friends over Facebook because I obviously live in LA and, and he's back here in Britain. But, uh, uh, and he, he's, a, he's a great guy, uh, you know, really dynamic as an actor. Obviously, you know, he had that wonderful laugh, you know, some blah, 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 thing while he was uh, eating, uh, I think it was, it was canned peaches that he was eating, although they looked a bit like... Um, uh, little goldfish or something, but anyway, he he really lived it. And once he was in that little suit of his, uh, 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 and wheeled in, it was it was fantastic. I mean, you know, it was quite interesting because now that I'm thinking about the 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 episode, it was quite thought provoking, especially now with this with this sense of uh, us being surrounded by reality television. Because in essence, the show was all about. Um, sort of live tortures on reality shows, and then people got to vote. So it was a bit like um, American Idol, really. Yeah, <laughs> but with, with, with added death and destruction. Yes. Uh, but the same amount of torture. Um, exactly. Well, interesting then, the, the other side of that as well is also about television violence, and at the time, Doctor Who was coming under fire for its violence, and, of course... In the intervening years, television it could be said has got more violent. So, as a as somebody that's directed yourself as well, do you have a do you have an opinion on on the depiction of violence and whether you think it does affect an audience? I, I think it does. I mean, um, you know, when one is depicting a story, of course, uh, you know, you're, you're trying to represent reality, and I think that um, there's obviously uh, sex and violence in the world. Um, I, I think when it becomes, you know, uh, gratuitous uh, in both in both cases, you know, it, 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 it loses its its uh, power. I, I always feel that uh, everybody has, well, many people have very vivid imaginations. And when it comes to violence, I find that, in fact, showing less is actually more effective. Um, you know, there are some people who really enjoy, you know, slasher movies and horror and blood and gore. Um my feeling is really that, uh, as I say, that you actually show less, it can be more effective. Um, that's my feeling anyway. I, I, I you know, I, I don't, I, it doesn't, for me, it doesn't make it more enjoyable to see all of the uh, detail of, of, of a violent act. It's much more thought-provoking, I find, if it's there for a reason, if it's, um, if it's actually left to your imagination. And uh, well, you went and you went from Doctor Who, of course, to uh, another firm favourite, which is Robin of Sherwood. And I know you're you're sort of convening to um, have a bit of a reunion uh, of that as we speak. So, what's it like? What's it been re- like, like revisiting that? And is that a job you remember especially fondly? I do, I do. Um, it's been great. We're down here uh, in Chepstow, and um, it's it's been. Uh, fantastic. I was a little worried because I haven't seen the series for a long time and I thought, I hope I'm not asked too many questions about specific scenes. Um, but actually, um, that's not really... What I found is that the interest from the people who who love the show is more about um, the intimacies of what was going on, you know, when you were making the scenes or, you know, during the day when you were uh, doing whatever you were doing. Um, on the show and and how that happened and you know they want to a lot of them have know the shows inside out but they want some sort of inside information about uh, 
you know, and, and it's it's lovely to go back in, down memory lane and remember those moments because, you know, I was very spoiled. I thought that all jobs would be like the Doctor Who one, like Robin of Sherwood. And actually, you know, what I came to find was that um, they were very special. And I think in some ways that's why people have reacted to them because um, it was just a, a moment in time and it, and it seemed to capture something. Well, I'm conscious that our moment in time uh, is is about to be brought to a close, so I will quickly ask you if I may. Well, firstly, you you I, you can't leave me without tantalising me saying you're uh, in LA. So, what are you up to at the moment? Well, I live in LA now. Um, uh, my son is out there; he's about to turn seventeen, and um, I stayed out there, uh, you know, to be sort of constant in his life, which has been wonderful, although an interesting journey at times. Um, and um, I'm actually going to come back to England, well, back to England, back to the UK, back to Scotland to shoot a film at the end of this year about uh, Tom Morris, who is a sort of patriarch of golf, Tom Morris and his son, Tommy Morris, which is actually a, a love story more than anything with the backdrop of golf. But we're going to shoot up in St. Andrews and around there. Um, and uh, it's a fantastic story because I've been directing more now. So... Um, we've been developing this for about um, eight months. And um, actually, if your listeners would like to go to, there's a website called um, tommyshonor.com. So it's, it's, it's a lovely story, and I'm, I'm incredibly excited to get that underway. Excellent. Well, best of luck with that. And we'll direct the listeners to that website and also to the website of a, a charity of your choice because you've given your time and everyone involved with this has done it gratis. So we'd like a charity to benefit. So what's your charity, please, Jason? Well, you know... Something that um, people often, well, some people forget is actually the, the creators of, of, of these uh, shows. I mean, you talked about Philip Martin. Um, there's a tremendously important man in my life and a lovely dear friend uh, who unfortunately has passed away called Kit Carpenter, who wrote the Robin Sherwood series. Um, and he has a, cha- a charity and I would be, it would be wonderful to uh, donate some money to that. He's a fantastic writer uh, and, as I say, a wonderful man. And yesterday we fired a flaming arrow into the lake uh, in memory of him. And um, it would be wonderful if uh, any monies could go towards that charity. And the final question, Jason, uh, with this, this ridiculous podcast of mine was set up to celebrate 50 years of Doctor Who. So what is your message to the Doctor Who fans listening out there um, who've been hanging on our every word, no doubt? <laughs> well, I just, um, uh, I think it's a... A wonderful journey, Doctor Who. Uh, I mean, I remember as a little boy sitting eating Marmite soldiers, scared, uh, shall we say, very scared, by the Cybermen, uh, Cybermen. And uh, I, I, at that time, used to watch it with the girl I rather liked in my class called Rosalind Murray. And if you're listening, Rosalind, I was really, really scared and pretending not to be. Um, I I think it's a great show. You've got so much variance uh, with all the different characters. And, you know, it's a wonderful thing to be part of it. So um, uh, I hope it carries on. Uh, I know that it has changed the way it it, it looks um, over the years. But um, a fantastic show and, and lovely to be a part of it. And thanks, everyone, for watching it. Well, and thanks to you for giving time out of your busy schedule to to do this ridiculous thing of mine. What a great pleasure. Jason Connery, thank you very much. Thank you, Toby. Thanks to Philip and to Jason. Jason alluded to Kip Carpenter's charity, Richard Carpenter's charity, uh, which is the Sherwood Forest Trust. 
which can be found at www.sherwoodforest.org.uk sherwoodforest.org.uk and Philip's charity is Water Aid, which is www.wateraid, all one word, .org forward slash UK. Uh, so please give to one or both of those. Uh, next up, there's another Who's Round with somebody who sang. Uh, the next Who's Round is going to sound a little like this. I hope you can join me for that one. And in the meantime, I hope the sun is shining wherever you are. And Tom would, um, I remember Tom came in after lunch one day and we did about 15 minutes and he just said, oh, I've had enough of this, I'm going home. And he just disappeared, so nothing else we could do. So, and uh, and he got very cross one night with the, um, the, the guys down on the studio floor when we were recording. Special thanks go out to Barnaby Eaton-Jones, who organised the Hooded Man Convention, a non-profit making venture supporting all things Robin of Sherwood, and to Ian Kubiak, who had the bright idea of teaming me up with Jason whilst he was attending that event. So thanks to both of those gentlemen. Uh, really appreciated. The Fourth Doctor Adventures, Doctor Who, Zygon Hunt. Oh, what's the matter? Why have we stopped? I just saw it up ahead. Gigantic. This is the planet Garros, by the way. I looked it up before we landed. You have been here before? No, but I've been meaning to visit for a long time. What are you doing on this planet? Just pop by for a look. I've always heard it was rather a lovely spot. Follow me. Seems like there's more hunting to be done tonight. But this time our quarry will be those damn prisoners. They must be found and shot on sight. No one must know of the plan. You must die. Big finish. We love stories.